and welcome once again to From the Center, a podcast by the Center for Western Studies. I'm Jack Vow, on faculty at the Center for Western Studies, joined as always by my friend and colleague, the director of the Center for Western Studies, John Hodges. Sir, how are you today? I'm doing just fine. Jack, how are you doing? I am excellent. I'm always, always good to hear your dulcet baritone. Dulcet strike, baritone Strike voice. that first note. <laughs> Very good. We should probably all do a, a podcast all in accents sometime. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> just do a... See if it'd be Cora. Oh, an Irish accent or yeah. a... Something like that. As Bruce Everything Will- from Scotland is great. As Bruce Willis said, I only speak two languages, English and bad English. <laughs> right. Well, speaking right. of dulcet, though, you have an addition to your living room here. Hey, how about that? In our in studio here, we actually have a new piano. Oh, yes. I was given, very kindly, a uh, grand piano. Um, it's a small grand. It's a baby grand, yeah. five and a half feet. It's adorable. But it's uh, perfect for that corner, and I think it's going to be a good um, addition <sighs> here because we're going to use it for uh, not only for my work, but but also for uh, uh, maybe some chamber music concerts in here. Now, the living room is big enough that we could have a string quartet or piano oh, quartet, nice. uh, maybe an opera singer come in and sing some things, something like that, and... Uh, down the road, I can see us making great use of it. There's something wonderful about the presence of a piano. Yeah. Though I think it's only strikes, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, those yeah. who those who have played it or been a part of music in some way. I used to play the piano a long time Did ago. Did you take lessons? Oh, and for about 10 years, oh, I was like good. taking piano lessons. And then um, I went to my first year of college and discovered books. And I was like, oh, so I, I did that. So I never <laughs> went back to it, unfortunately. But I appreciate it. Whenever I see it, it feels like, ah, like it ought to be there. Well, we'll have to get you to play it some. <laughs> That'd be good. See what happens. See if I can dig out my see old... See any, any of your old works. Some old thing. Yeah. We'll yeah the, be... Some people tickle the ivy as I torture them. <laughs> <laughs> the ivories. Well, I, I was interested in talking to you about a thought I had mm. that is maybe worth talking about. Maybe. Um, that's going to encourage all of our listeners, isn't it? <laughs> maybe I, be- I should switch to somebody else's podcast. I believe you sure. called it, ha- no, 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 you, you called it before it half-baked. Half-baked, right? that's what it feels and a I will bit have like. you know that there is a podcast who has regular episodes every couple of months called Half-Baked Ideas. No kidding. Yes, I may recommend one of those. Oh, that's a great idea. Well, I'd like to hear that. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a kind of a half-baked idea. I'd just like to run it by you and our listeners and see. before Before I do, though, let me just say, I would like to encourage our listeners to engage with us about these podcasts. We're hearing back more and more now from, from folks who are listening to our podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would be great if you wanted to drop us a note and let us know what you think and or if you have questions about what we're talking about uh, or insights that we could bring up. And then maybe along the way, we'll uh, quote you, read your, read your emails on, the, on a podcast and uh, bring up the questions you bring up. Mm-hmm. And the way to do it, I would think, would be to write to me, the director, at... Director at centerws.com. That's my email address. Director, D-I-R-E-C-T-O-R, at centerws, for Center for Western Studies, dot com. Mm-hmm. And that will get directly to me, and uh, we'll have a look at those and comment on them all along the way. Yeah, so feel free to ask questions, suggest topics. Yeah. 
Um, we lob insults. We, uh, <laughs> we can handle that. We, we love to parry back. You know, certainly, what, certainly. You have to say, and we'll be happy to hear from you. But that's director at centerws.com. We'll put that email in the show notes. That's right. So everybody that's can right. find it. And don't hesitate to say exactly what you really think. We really would like to hear what you think. And we hope that we are inspiring honest conversations about these issues and not just dictating them. Uh, we tell you what we think, but we are certainly open to hearing from you. So, Well, what I was thinking was this. It was dawning on me that there are an awful lot of opportunities for us in our lives today to I, – I don't want to use a negative term to begin with, but it, but it, it seems to me a, to abdicate our individual choice in matters. Now, this sounds very vague, I know, but let me give you some examples. Sure. I was watching this car commercial the other day, and in it, it was showing you all the newfangled bells and whistles that this car had. One of them was that when you have your uh, your uh, cruise control on, uh, it will actually adjust your speed in accordance with the car that it senses in your lane ahead of you. So it slows down if the car in front of you slows down. Well, it was pretty slick. Also, it has a lane change warning thing. So if you find that you're getting too close to the, the curb or the lane or whatever that you're in, uh, it was, the sensors will tell you and beep at you and tell you, you know, you're not, you're not actually in the center of your lane anymore. Well, that all, they, they were obviously advertising those things. They thought those were pretty cool things and make you want to buy one of their cars, you see. Well, I thought that was pretty cool, but, I, but like a lot of science fiction writers in the past, mm-hmm. I've always wondered about the technology. How far does it go before it actually starts telling you what you can and can't do? That's what I mean by abdicating our, I don't know, authority, our choice. I don't our, know. We're going to have to see if we can't work towards the word we're talking about, but it's some kind of abdication. Of, of, of your volition, of some kind of your, your, your authority or your final authority. Anyway, I was just thinking, if I'm driving along and it tells me that I can, I'm about to change lanes and I want to change lanes, will it let me sort of manually override the car and change and change lanes. Or I see a car ahead of me is slowing down, but I don't want to slow down. I, I need to speed up in order to do something that the machine doesn't understand, mm-hmm. maybe to get around somebody next to me or something so that I can get out of the lane. I don't know. I'm just Maybe you need to ram the back of it to pop open the trunk because your daughter is kidnapped in there. <laughs> Leave it to a writer I know, <laughs> to right? come up with a much better so- scenario. I'll be here all Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Who knows? I might just have to ram into the car in front of me for some reason. But the point is, what about my human volition? When do I override it? Will, or better still, when will it say to me, I know you want to do X, Y, and Z, but I, the machine, don't think it's a good idea, so I'm going to override your volition. You see, I'm going to keep you from being able to do it. Well, I'm not interested just in talking about technology. It seems like this sort of thing happens in lots of different areas of our lives. For example, um, it used to be that you could call up a company and say, I'd like to buy an email address, and they would pay, charge you something for it, and you would, they would register the thing for you, and so on. Now, this is back when dinosaurs ruled the world. When, when dinosaurs ruled the world, and when I was a young man. <laughs> and, but nowadays, I mean, Google, for example, has basically made it possible for everybody and his Aunt Matilda to have an email address for free. Mm-hmm. Well, what a great thing, right? We think, well, look at that. They're, they're, uh, they're offering us a free service. 
And I began to think, well, how can they accomplish that? How can they justify that? Well, we now know that companies are uh, uh, using the information that they gather from people that sell, they, they give free stuff to in order to market to them. And that's where they make their money, right? Facebook is doing it. Google is doing it. Probably uh, Instagram and Twitter and advertising for these things. They're thinking, I have a, a uh, I have information on the people that are using my product that I can turn around and sell to a company that wants to market to those people. Mm. Well, that's a that's a value now. Suddenly, yeah. they've crafted a crafted a value out of in a sense out of thin air, out of the information they've gathered on their on their uh, clients, their free clients. So is there a point there, too, when it's a great thing to have a free email address, but is it a – am I giving away my sovereignty, as it were? Am I, am I abdicating my soul, as it were, to, get to, to somebody else to decide for me how and when and what I will see and, you know, yeah. on the, online? It's a question of cost. Right. I mean, I, right. I, I, like, a, I like the idea of application because it still has a sense of handing something over or giving up something. There's this question of cost. Nothing is free. Turns out nothing is free. Right. Not, 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 like, not in any way, shape, or form. Not even technically. Like, nothing is free. There's a cost somewhere. Someone somewhere somehow has paid for it. Right. And paid in some form or fashion. All right. That's right. Uh, even like the, you know, if you're like lost in the wilderness and you randomly stumble upon like a, grove of mangoes that just like is wild and natural and you get to eat oh free food from the ground well i mean technically there was a whole life process of seeds falling and growing but right. a whole process went into it and maybe struggles against diseases or all kinds of things went into it to make the mango thing the, the fruit there right all right it didn't just happen right somehow some way something had to happen that may have you know cost something maybe other seeds couldn't fall there or maybe like uh, you know, something else wasn't planted that could have been planted. There are trade-offs. Now, some will think of that as like, well, that's kind of a silly example, isn't it? Well, that's the thing. There are levels to trade-off. That's right. Maybe it's not that big a deal that one thing was planted in the wilderness and one thing it wasn't was not. Maybe it's not a big deal that, well, so my car can like slow down for me. I know right. if, as long as there's a way. You know, maybe as long as we have a way to override, or that's not. Maybe some will say that's not as big of a trade-off. But there's this sense of cost. Nothing's free. Everything costs something or required something in order to work, in order to function, in order to be, uh, in order to be what it is. Right. And you see it laid out in many different ways. The one about technology is a long argument, which we're not necessarily trying to have. But the short version is that every time you build a machine to do something for you, you've, the machine's kind of taken that ability away from you. If you have a machine that digs stuff up for you, then you've taken away from you the skill of digging over time, over generations or something like that. You have a whole generation raised on Google Maps. That's a generation that doesn't know how to use a map and a compass in and of itself and navigate themselves. How many times have I gotten in the car and thought, I've been to this place I'm going 10 times already, but I don't know how to get there. Right, because... Because the, every time I go, I just follow the, the GPS. Right, instead of actually using, like orienting yourself or like sure. using landmarks or using your memory or something like that. You let the machine do it. That's it's right. a long-standing discussion. The idea about like what if the machine says, well, I know you want to do this, but I think it's best to do that. I mean, that's, you know, 
That's <laughs> that's iRobot. That's Terminator. Exactly. exactly. That's the Mass Effect series. For those of you who get all the way to the end of it, that's that, that's this idea of like you know the machines decide. Well, the best thing to do is just to enslave all of you to our algorithms because that's sure. Look at that. It's the Matrix. It's the ma- <laughs> it's, it's everything. It's all the science. P- people have been considered considering this idea. For, Especially within the, the realm, realm of, of technology uh, science. and science, exactly science fiction and technology for a long time. But what I'm interested in is really—I mean—that's just an example of it, yeah. isn't it? There's, there's. Think about healthcare. You're hearing a lot of. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I don't. I don't want to turn this into a technological discussion. I don't want to turn it into a political discussion. But there are politicians nowadays that are offering free healthcare, free uh, education, for mm-hmm. example. And you think, well, that sounds awfully good because I have a huge. You know, I'm facing a huge uh, uh, medical medical bill or a monthly medical premium that I wouldn't have to pay if or I could get this, or a student debt that's massive, and many of us have those. So, you know, it's understandable that we would be sort of dazzled by the thought that maybe, maybe the system would actually work in my favor and would give me all the things that I need, like that, and get me out of these debts and so on. But, but. But my question is really, what cost is it? Because it, like you say, everything has a cost. What cost is it to get free health care? Mm. Well, immediately people say, well, you know, the people on the right would say, you don't want free health care because if you do that, your taxes are going to go up. Right. Well, yeah, they will. They, in fact, they're all, all admitting that, that they will have to increase taxes. But people are willing to consider that. But I'm not thinking only in terms of material cost. There's a material cost, but what is the cost to yourself, to your soul? What's the metaphysical, <laughs> if that's the yeah. right word, cost to people who say, I, I would really like to be able to turn my uh, whole medical uh, need over to a, 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 a bureaucracy that will handle all of it and pay for all of it, and all I have to do is go in and get seen and get healed. Yeah. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'd like to be able to do that. But the question then is, what limitations will that give you, put on you, when it comes time for you actually to use the system? I know a girl who broke her collarbone the other day, and when she went into the doctor... Uh, because she wasn't in the state that she has her, uh, she was out of state. Mm-hmm. Because she was out of state when she broke it, the insurance that she has, that is free insurance in her state, wouldn't cover her treatment in the state she was in. Okay. Uh, and the doctor looked at her and said, because you have insurance in another state that doesn't apply here, I can't treat you. I won't treat you. And she offered to pay him cash for it. I've got the cash, she said. You don't have to go through the insurance company. I don't even need the insurance company. He said no. And the the point was, now that you're in the system, you have to play by the system's rules. You no longer have the freedom to exercise your own cash in the direction that you want to exercise it, put it in whatever you want to. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to be willing to accept the the jurisdiction as it were of the uh, of the state you're in. Yeah. The, you hear that argument from the people who are against um, uh, against uh, universal health care. The question is not so much, is it less expensive for me now that I have this free thing? It may be that the cost actually secretly goes up because I'm paying so much more in taxes. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying the question is the cost of your own volition. And what's the, what's the tipping point there? Where, where do we say... 
No to free stuff, even though it sounds good. No to increased wealth, say. No to uh, increased power. Mm. Because it will ruin my soul. Yeah. I think it's the issue of the soul. Like, what? how does it affect you, what my grandma would call the real you? Yeah. Okay, like, how does it actually affect the soul of you? Not just your pocketbook, but how does it actually affect or shape you? I remember a comedian years ago, it was like maybe 10, 15 years ago, talking about how, you know, when it came to the issue of gay marriage, he was all for it, not because he necessarily had any sort of deep political or philosophical thought about it, but just that, how does this affect me? Mm-hmm. Now, who cares if two men can marry or two women? I, how does it affect me? And then he brought up, well, some people will argue that, well, if you allow them to do that, then pretty soon people will be able to marry their dogs. And his response was, again, how does this affect me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was this attitude that everybody's decisions are their own decisions, and if we make these big sweeping decisions for everybody to just kind of do whatever they want, then there's like a zero impact on me because we're all sort of isolated from each other. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the thought that you're part of, the thought that you're not an island, right? that you're actually a part of families, part of communities, part of countries, and part of a planet and you're part of a world and you're part you're connected to all these things Mm -hmm. and those the decisions that get made that can affect all those things on different levels actually can shape you in ways more than just your pocketbook or more than just you know which person at thanksgiving dinner gets mad at you over who you voted for (laughs) but can actually shape you like it can shape how you perceive gender or sex or it can lead you to perceive ability or skills at all like is it Okay, is it by getting Google Maps, it's not just that maybe you lose the ability to read a map and a compass on your own. I'm picking something kind of silly. Sure, okay? sure. Maybe it's not just that you lose that skill set, but eventually you create a generation that doesn't even understand why you would want that skill set in the first place. If a machine can do it for me, then why would, you, why would you even want a map or a compass? In other words, you may move beyond people who bemoan the loss of something to a generation of people who don't even understand it's a loss. Right. Isn't that, that changes people. Isn't, that really does, isn't it? I hear people say that now, um, that uh, what difference does it make if, um, what difference does it make if two men can marry each other? It doesn't affect me. But the reality is that two men marrying each other are sterile. They can't actually have children. Mm. And so the population that could have been created by those two men is never going to be created. They won't actually generate any children. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is, and this is really very telling, the, the argument against that is that they can adopt children. Right. But the, you see the implication is the only thing that matters is that these two men are happy, not that there are children that are born from them. Right. Because the, the question seems to the person that's, listed, that's arguing against it, the question is, why can't homosexuals raise children? Well, they can. They could just adopt somebody else's child. There are plenty of children out there that need adoption. Adopt a child. Hooray. All's well, right? But that's not the same thing as passing on your genes to the next generation. Right. Children that never existed. The children that never were born, right? So, and it still required a man and a woman to create that adopted child. So right. we, we come up against our, our own mortality, our own uh, biological limitations, 
uh, the, the design, really, that God has made for the world. We come up against that. And we actually did a podcast about that question a little bit not too long ago about uh, how my will actually wants to change the world to be like I want it to be. And that will, the, that world that we're talking about might include my actual physical being. Because I don't like the fact that I have two legs and I only want one, or I right. only, you know, my hair color is wrong, or whatever. Uh, my gender is wrong. Uh, my sex sex is wrong. So I want to change that. But I'm, all of those, you know, we've had podcasts about technology and about gender and about various other things. And and what I'm trying to get at, and what we're trying to get at, mm-hmm. is the underlying kind of principle or yeah thing that's going on under the, all it, it shows up this principle shows up in technology so we're constantly trying to find ways to make our technology more sophisticated and the result of some of it is that it reduces our volition um, but we're also trying to come up with governmental bureaucracies that will accomplish the things that we want to accomplish and in so doing are we giving away our autonomy or not our autonomy but our are we giving away our volition to uh, to a mechanism as it were a different kind of mechanism in that case uh, or you, there was this uh, basketball uh, uh, de- deal going on you know where um, uh, one of the one of the basketball players uh, stood up and said we're in in league with the the, the, the protesters in Hong Kong in favor of free speech and all hell broke loose because the Chinese government is not in any way interested in continuing that kind of free freedom in Hong Kong. And the Chinese corporations are actually running a lot of how we do basketball nowadays because they run, they own the shoes, right? They're making all the shoes. The right. Adidas shoes, the Nike shoes are all Chinese made. So it's a billion dollar industry, billions and billions of dollar industry. Um, and so suddenly, the, the, the Chinese government was actually encouraging American basketball players to limit themselves, to, to, to go against free speech. Be, for what? <laughs> for shoe deals. For shoe deals, exactly. Right. For money. So here's the, it's sort of a, a mirror image of all this, but give me free health care. And in giving me free health care, I actually lose my volition to have the health care that I actually want. But give me lots and lots of money and I'll give away my freedom of speech. But it costs something yeah. to have all those things. And I'm wondering where in our soul we could recalibrate in order to be able to resist that loss, to be discerning enough about the cost of something to know when to say, no, I don't need more money. I need my freedom. Oh, I don't need free health care, which is in a sense more money, right? Because I would be paying for it and now I'm not. So I'm saving money by having free health care, right? So, and everybody needs it. So, um, I, I'm, you're offering me free health care, but no, I'd prefer to be able to make my own choices. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where does that happen? Because we're not against the idea of, uh, 
of teamwork, you know, organizations accomplishing things that individuals can't accomplish. I'm not interested in a purely libertarian kind of approach of, to society that says every man just does whatever he likes in his own eyes, you know. Right. Like that. As we long have, as you don't do it on another person's property. Yeah, yeah. There, we, we understand limitations are good, but more than that, we understand that teamwork is necessary to accomplish certain things. I never would have gotten this piano into the house had I not had these great guys helping me lift it in and roll it in and put it together. Right. Uh, the house itself would never have been built if it hadn't been for a team of people, uh, designers and, and workers, all doing uh, their, their ex- exercising their gifts uh, to accomplish it. So I'm all in favor of recognition of, of uh, technological advances. I mean, I wouldn't want to dig a big trench to lay a, lay a pipe by hand if I didn't have to. I, these, these trench digger machines are wonderful, right? Yeah. Um, so where is it that I say this far and no further? What do we, how do we do that? How do we measure that? Yeah. Man, I feel like by mentioning the technological and the political and the cultural on all the levels, from like yeah. the most hot button to the most kind of ridiculous, that question seems to be like a central problem that maybe not a lot of people are thinking about, even though they keep running up into it all the time. It's this sense of a trade-off of something, and when are you trading too much for whatever it is you're getting? Yeah. And yeah. it is a question of, you know, goods in the sense of like, well, what do you think is actually a priority and what you think is not a priority? What do mm-hmm. actually think is a good and is not ultimately a good? Um, I'm trying to think about this in the most general terms possible because we're trying to get the principle underneath it. All of these things from the questions about healthcare to the questions about technology to the questions about culture, or even the basketball one, in a sense, yeah. all of it is attempts to overcome obstacles in some way. You know, Even the trench digging is an attempt to overcome. How can I do right. X in the most efficient or effective way possible? Not just efficiency, but like effective. Like it will actually get done the thing I want done. Right. right. And all of them in some ways are like trying to overcome an obstacle in some way. And the way you go about it matters because mm-hmm. the way you go about it could actually have an effect. It can have effects you don't anticipate. It could have costs you don't anticipate. So it's like trying to count the cost of trying to overcome certain obstacles. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it going to mm-hmm. cost you? Is it just going to cost you money? Or is it going to cost you money plus another thing? Is it going to cost you money and some of your time? Is it going to cost you money and some of your sanity? Is it going to cost you money <laughs> and some of your principles mm-hmm. in some way? Or mm-hmm. Is it going to cost you money... I feel like the only way to correctly, or I probably should say, the only way wisely to discern when the cost of some kind of trade-off on this fundamental level is good or bad is to know where your goods stand. Where your, Uh not to play the hand too much, but where your loves sit. Like what actually is like highest priority and what's lowest. What is the central good that can never be sacrificed? And radiating out from that, which are the ones that like, well... This can be sacrificed for that, but not for this. This could, almost like you have to create a hierarchy of something to say, like, well, what's actually the highest good, and what are the ones below it? Because if you have a hierarchy of good, yeah, my goods. I'm not just talking about goods and services. I mean goods in like the ethical or metaphysical sense, like something that is good. Like right. I don't know what else something to say. Valuable, right? valuable, good in and of itself. Right. To have a hierarchy of it would help you. You know, if a person had a very clear hierarchy of what mattered to them in their mind, that would very easily make those decisions for them. They could look at it and be like, well, let's see, should I trade this for this? Well, 
this sits higher on the hierarchy of my goods than that, so no. But this sits lower, so yes, it's okay to trade for that. Well, now you're talking about the the, the ordo amoris, the, the mm-hmm. ordering of our loves that Augustine speaks about and others right. too. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm thinking about Plato. When Plato in the Republic talks about how the the city, out, the outward justice in the city is actually a manifestation of the inward ordering of the souls of the people of the mm-hmm. city. So maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's where we ought to go. The question is, do we now value in this materialistic world, do we now value the things uh, properly? That mm-hmm. is, do we still hold that our freedom, for example, is of value? If I can trade my freedom for some free health care, is, is, is that a valuable, is that a fair swap? And if you think that your health care or your health or your finances are higher value than your freedom, then it makes some sense to give it away in order to have the thing that you value more highly. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is just a... Another example at, at its root of a, of a misordered loves, you know, a misordering of our loves. A misordering of loves, the ordering of the loves matters, and also how you define what's being traded, right? Because uh-huh. uh-huh. you could talk to someone about the health care issue thing, and on the one hand, somebody could read it as, well, you're trading your freedom for health care, right? Right. Right. Another person would look at it and say, no, I'm trading tax dollars for more freedom. They're like, uh-huh. wait, 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 because sickness impedes your freedom, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Sure. But if I have free health care and thus it's taken care of, well, then I don't have to, I don't have to spend the money on that, and I can get it taken care of. And it's no longer impeding me. So, like, it's like, is your finances and health care worth your freedom? And it's like, well, no. But are your tax dollars worth more of your freedom? Well, no. I'll gladly trade some to take care of my sicknesses and my diseases, so I can have freer finances and freer times. It all depends on how you define A. It all depends on A, what goods you have and how you order them, mm-hmm. how you order your loves of what is good. And B, how you define what's being traded. What do you actually think is being traded off? And in this case, uh, one person is saying, I'm trading my ability to choose for myself for free health care. The other guy is saying, no, I'm, I'm actually giving tax money away. I'm giving money away in order to have health. The implication with the second person is that if I don't have free health care, I will be sick. That's the assumption underneath all that. Whereas in the first, in the former example, it's not a question of being sick or not, in my mind. It's a question of who gets to decide how you're treated, do I get to decide or does someone does a, does a mechanism get to decide a bureaucracy so I, I guess the first guy the first guy is saying i 'm assuming that I can get healed it 's just a question of what what I have to pay for it. Do I have to pay f- for it with my money or do I have to pay for it with my my freedom as it were I, I have to give up my freedom in order to get that health. And uh, the second guy is saying it's a matter, it's purely a matter of dollars and cents. I can't afford to be healed. 
And so if I'm not uh, given free health care, I'm not going to be healed, and that means I will lose my health, and that's the freedom you're talking about losing. So that makes some sense. So all of that stuff seems like those two have to dovetail into a shuffle somehow. They have to think about shuffling cards. Those two things have to actually fit into each other in some kind of hierarchy so that we're defining things the same way and organizing those things the same way. Now, here's where it really gets to be complicated. So many people have written about uh, and that is, if we don't, as a society, if we don't agree on what's valuable together, then we can't possibly have that dovetailing thing happen, that ordering of our loves happen, because we're going to, we're going to disagree at that basic level. Uh, and there's no way to overcome that. The only thing we can do in a plurality like this is to get close to a decision, close to a, uh, an agreement, uh, so that everybody is sort of compromised their interests. I don't mean morally compromised. Right. I mean, come, I'll come halfway if you'll come halfway kind of agreement uh, to, get, to get along. But it may very, very well be a society that doesn't satisfy anybody. Yeah. Um, I, the, at the basis of this too, I think, is the difference, as we've said before, between a kind of moral imagination about the world and a in an idyllic imagination about the world. If you assume on the front end that life is broken and fallen and people are going to suffer, then you're not so surprised when you find people broken and suffering. That's not to say you don't have compassion for them, mind you. It's just that you're not surprised by it. It's natural. It's, just, it's something that happens no matter what you do. It's, there are going to be people that are suffering. That's the moral imagination that assumes the world has fallen. But the idyllic imagination, the sort of Rousseauian approach to things, says basically everything is good and right and just. And the only thing that uh, gets in our way are our institutions, our practices, our, our moral uh, structures, our society, and so on. And then what we need to do then, since we have this vision that everything ought to be smooth sailing and perfect and easygoing and everybody ought to be healthy and safe and all that then if they're not, then that's the sign that something has to be fixed. We have to redo the health care program. We have to build cars that will slow down when they see a car coming up. We have to wear helmets when we use our motorcycles or whatever we have to do in order to keep everybody safe, everybody rich, everybody healthy, everybody enjoyed, enjoying life. And that idyllic approach, frankly, isn't real. It's not true. There's nothing you can do to get everything right in this world you see and so i think the 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 pressure it's almost as though we're willing to sacrifice more and more and more of our freedom of our even of our treasure of our uh, autonomy i keep using that word but of our um our volition our free choices we're willing to sacrifice those things in order to get some sort of utopia that can't happen anyway so maybe that's at the core of it. Maybe the, 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 at the central point is that we have this disagreement about how the world is and how it ought to be. Right. Can we actually save ourselves yeah. or not? And if we can't save ourselves, then what do we do? Because like the charge will always get lobbed back that if you don't think that we can save ourselves then that just undercuts all action altogether. Because oh, it's like, yeah. why, why would you even bother doing anything? And that's, not, that's ridiculous as well. But it is, 
it is a massive metaphysical position. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the, that's deciding all this. As always, it's something that's in the background that's been embodied in practices and customs and stuff going down through families and communities and through the nation, through generations. What do you actually think is good? Where do all the other goods fall in the place of it? How are you defining what you're losing and what you're gaining? Like, what do you actually see as what you're losing and what you're gaining? And is that actually what's happening? Mm-hmm. And in this trade-off, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you ultimately trying to accomplish? If you think what you're trading and losing is you're trading some tax dollars and maybe, okay, I don't get to choose my own health care, but whatever, the government plan is everything's free. So mm-hmm. that seems pretty simple. So mm-hmm. I'm trading my tax dollars and the inconvenience of having to figure out health That's part of it. Right. I'm trading that to gain no more headaches of like trying to figure out healthcare. No more concern if my kids get sick or I get sick or a parent gets sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, no more financial concerns. An illness is not going to necessarily derail my life. You know, there's some that mm-hmm. just can help it, but for the most part, you know, a random accident or a catastrophic event or a, a non-fatal but still kind of momentarily debilitating illness, those things that normally could just completely derail you because they take over your life and suck up your finances and you're scrambling to try and pull things together. Now suddenly it's all taken care of by trading some treasure and, you know, the freedom, of, you see the quotation marks using in my hand, of having to mess with trying to figure out what your own health care is. Mm. In exchange, somebody else... It's very complicated. Yes. Uh, your health care is an example. In exchange, I get it figured out for me and paid for me. Right, right. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, right. Put in that light, it seems pretty, that's like, well, good grief, why wouldn't we do that? Mm-hmm. For goodness sake, like, why wouldn't we do that? If, on the flip side, you look at it and you see what I'm trading is tax dollars that are too high, like an unjust amount of tax dollars. Mm-hmm. I'm trading tax money and my ability to decide for myself what kind of stuff I want and even how I want to do my health care because maybe I just want to pay it out of pocket or maybe I only want these things covered. I mean, whatever. Like I have my own way of doing it. I am actually trading away my ability to decide for myself and I'm putting my bodily integrity in the hands of bureaucrats and technocrats who don't know me. That's right. And who don't love me and who don't have anything. And they're just trying to create some blanket sort of this is what's going to help everybody else out because I'm trusting myself to their view of what counts as healthy. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's right. What if what they say counts as healthy is absolutely free access to abortion mm-hmm. and you're a Catholic institution. You're a Catholic mm-hmm. hospital. Mm-hmm. And they come and say, I want an abortion done. The government says, we'll pay for it. And they're like, we can't do that. And say, well, I guess we'll just cut off these funds from you because we demand that you give it to them. Right. I mean, you're, let, right. you're letting them decide. It almost seems like the people don't think about this because they think it should just be obvious what counts as healthy. or what They think the good should be obvious. Yeah. When it's not. Yeah, it's not. All right, it's not. When you hand over the healthcare thing to the government, it's not just that you're trading tax dollars, which, by the way, that could be its own discussion because right. it's not economically feasible. But anyway, you're not just handing over your tax dollars. You're handing over the right to decide what counts as healthy that's right. to a bureaucrat. And that's something where to a bureaucrat, to a technocracy, to a government agency. And I'm like, that sounds like you're trading something more than just treasure or inconvenience. Away. Exactly. You're trading exactly. away the right to define a key term yes. 
about yes. our humanness, and do we really want to give that up? Do we really want to say to the government, okay, you get to choose our health care, and by the way, ipso facto, that means you get to decide what health means. Yeah, you get to define the word. And that, and, and, and we were already seeing that in, in some socialist countries, uh, people at the age of 82 go into the hospital and say, I really want to get a heart transplant, for example. And they say, well, you're 82. I'm sorry, we're not going to pay for that. The, the, it's not cost effective. Right. We're in charge of how we spend the money that the government spends on health. And if you were 10 years younger, we might consider it, but you're now too old. For well, you know, they, well, you, who, you may not may live to be 100. But, and if it were your own choice and your own money, and you just simply had to go to a doctor and say, I'd like to have a heart transplant, right. here's the $38,000 for your fee or whatever. It's probably 10 times that. Right. Um, uh, you know, I, I want to do that. I, this is how I want to spend right. my money. Or I don't get to choose that or, anymore. you know, your child has some sort of illness that there's a treatment for, it, but the government through the courts decide, well, your child has Down syndrome, and we don't really don't think that's a quality of life. Exactly. So we're just going to let them die, because that's more moral. Exactly. Or go to the NBA question that just came up. Uh, somebody says, I'm in favor of supporting Hong Kong against the com- communist Chinese. And the communist Chinese say, I then am going to withhold billions of dollars from you and your corporation and your NBA organization right. unless you change your mind about that, because unless you change your public f- facade Because about they that. get to define what entertainment counts now, as. That's right. And so now we're willing to... to, to now we're, we are no longer willing to stand for what we think is right to do in order to have money. Right. Think of the, like, the gay marriage question that, you know, is a moot point in some ways because overage fell but before that and was leading up to it there are people who are arguing that you know the government shouldn't do this because it's immoral and stuff like that there was probably an even stronger argument to be made that the government shouldn't have anything about marriage because marriage is not something the government has any authority to define well that's like right. whatsoever and whatever any way shape or form the people should be the ones to decide what that means there's got to be other mechanisms for deciding what that means maybe one of the reasons that we got to the point of debating whether homosexual marriage was acceptable or not was because we had already decided to allow the government to define what marriage was. And then the government, without any Christian restrictions, says we're only thinking in terms of the freedom of the individual to do as, you know, to, to support that. We want to then offer uh, homosexual licenses as well. I'm still not sure what to call this underlying principle of this trade off thing or how to summarize it, mm. but I think we're on to something in that one of the things we trade in that we don't recognize we're trading in is the authority to define certain terms right that right. matter and i think the health one is a huge one i think that's a much stronger argument than even the taxation mm-hmm. one even mm-hmm. though i think that one's a stronger argument too defining the word defining health. the term i mean yeah. i think a much stronger argument against say universal health care is not something like you know it's raising our tax dollars even though that's a strong argument i think an even stronger argument is like there's a story a couple of years ago about some couple in uh, uh in england whose son was sick with something and the National Health Services didn't have the ability to treat him, but they found out there was a clinic in America that had this right. experimental thing 
that it wasn't guaranteed, but it was a new thing and it's a possibility. And so the parents like raised the money to pay for the treatment and to buy the plane tickets. They got all the money they get, and all they asked is that the National Health Services would release their child back to them so they could take him over there. Mm. And the government said, no, we're not giving you your kid back. Incredible. You're not, because we have deemed it that he is a lost cause right. and that this journey would be too horrible for him and it would be too hard on him. We just, they didn't put in so many terms. It was basically, we think it's better if he just dies peaceably. So the responsibility for individuals then now is the government's and not, for children, is not the, not the, gov- not the parents, but the government's. Right. A bureaucratic technocracy gets to define what health means for your child. Right. It's right. like, when did you trade that away? Yeah. And why did and, you trade? And that we traded away? it away without without knowing that we had traded it away. Without firing a shot. Yeah, right. I think that's really what I'm after here. Think about uh, the Faustian bargain. Uh, here's a fellow who wants you know wealth and power and and uh, women and uh, those sorts of things, and he goes to the the devil. Uh, the devil offers to to give him all, any and all of those things that he wants in this life if he'll just sign his soul away, right? So the, the, the whole um, exchange that we're talking about has actually been talked about for many centuries. Uh, it's just that in our own day-to-day, it seems like we don't actually believe we have souls anymore. Right. And I'm thinking about that scene in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? where they pick up Tommy, the guitarist, you know? Yeah. And... Uh, and he said, uh, he said, well, what were you doing there at the crossroads? Well, I was waiting for the devil. I, I sold him my soul in return to being able to play the guitar, right? And, oh, that didn't sound like such a good idea. And Tommy says, well, I figured I wasn't using it. Why not? You know? <laughs> right. And it's this valueless soul that I'm talking about. How is it that we are convinced by the devil, maybe, that our soul is of no value, that it would be far better to trade this thing that doesn't have any value at all for all these other things. I'm reminded of the old Norse mythology uh, where uh, Odin, the, the king of the gods, uh, comes and finds the well of wisdom and the, and the wizard or whoever it is that's guarding the well uh, says to him, you know, you can have a drink from the well, you can have wisdom if that's what you want, but it's going to cost you. And Odin says, well, what's it going to cost? And he says, it's going to cost you one of your eyes. And Odin thinks about it and thinks, well, if I can become wise, it's worth it. That's, I'll give away my eye, and then because that seems like a small price to pay for wisdom. Then he drinks from the well and he learns wisdom. And the wisdom is that you have to see the world with two eyes. So he's given away the one thing that actually could have given him perspective and wisdom. And the, 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 the evil wizard there knew that, but didn't tell him. Right. Just on the front end said, yeah, you don't need that eye. You'll have another eye. Right? So it's sort of like that. It's as though the, the Chinese are saying, um, you don't need freedom of speech. You'll have all this money. Look at all these contracts you'll right. lose if you, if you exercise your freedom of speech this right. way or stand in favor of the Hong Kong protesters or the Taiwanese against us in mainland China. Right. Or they don't tell you what you're getting rid of. It's like you don't need two fans in the stands holding Hong Kong signs. You don't need that. Don't Look need at all that. this money you'll get if you just remove them from your stadiums. You're just two people. That's it's right. no big deal. Right. It's not like, it's you know, no freedom of speech is going under the market. So, yeah, it's like, the hell, look, you're just using some tax dollars and you no longer have to fill out a bunch of forms anymore. That's all you're losing. You look at all this 
health care you get. Exactly. And under the table is the right to determine what counts as health and who actually gets it. Yeah. On a smaller scale, go back to our original uh, examples, um, am I giving away my ability to control my own car to a machine that knows better than I do, whether it should be in this lane or that or this speed or that? And, and, and will it allow me to override it? And one day it's going to say no. I mean, right now, maybe yes, you can override it. But maybe eventually we'll give away so many of the aspects of how we drive a car that we need the machine to do it all for us. And we won't even know what we've given away. Maybe. I mean, oh, here we are giving our information to uh, Google or Facebook and uh, they say, wouldn't it be fun for you to be able to tell all your friends about yourself, you know, what you like to buy and what movies you like and what, you know, uh, uh, where you live, what part of the world, you, country you live in and the world you live in and, and all these details about you, how old you are and everything. But all those things actually are recorded and set aside so that the company can make use of them and, make, and, and sell them, right? So your information, that, that which is unique to you, is being given away uh, as a means to make money for the company and as a means for another company to market to you. Mm-hmm. So maybe... Maybe we don't know what we're giving up. Yeah, it reminds me of Jesus talking about when a man goes to build a tower, he first counts the cost. Yeah. So that he doesn't like wind up laying a foundation and then suddenly he can't build a tower. And then the foundation is left there as like this emblem for his enemies to look at and say, look at him. He couldn't. It just it becomes like a, a, a monument to his foolishness mm-hmm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. It's this idea of knowing, what, knowing exactly what you're getting into know exactly what's being given up. And there's too much, I suppose there's just too much like laziness and flippancy out mm-hmm. there. It's just like, oh, I know what I'm giving up and it doesn't cost much. Or we, And it may have something to do. It may all tie back into like, we don't believe we have souls and we don't really think in spiritual terms. Thus, we only think in material terms. Thus, we only think in terms of, oh, it's going to cost me money and some form filling. Or it's going to cost me you know, something that's purely material. That's right. And we don't think of it in terms of it's also costing something greater than that. It's costing something of your soul, of your mind, of metaphysical truth or something like whatever. It's costing something else that you're just not thinking about because it becomes a blind spot. And so we're actually not really, we think we're counting up the cost, but we aren't actually. Mm. And then what we get in return is what we thought was going to be a great benefit turns out to be a monument to our foolishness. I think that's a very real possibility, uh, and maybe maybe the only answer is to uh, re-establish uh, a Christian mind in our people, so that we have some consensus about uh, what our values are, and then we can put our values in a proper order, so that we can value things appropriately, and then not spend. Uh, give away what it is that we value the most in order to get something that we value the the least. Well, what about um, recommendations for today? What do you think? Well, Have you got one? Uh, so there's a podcast I listened to. I mentioned before. It's called the the Remnant podcast oh, yeah. by uh-huh. Jonah Goldberg. Who some people are like, you know, like him, don't like him. Whatever, I think he's fun. I just listen to him because I think he's fun and mm-hmm. interesting. And very bright fellow. Very bright fellow. Humorous fellow. He had an episode. Apparently he does this every once in a while. He has an episode that came out like in late September. I think it's episode 138. And, it's, <coughs> and 
and it's called it's just called half baked hmm. and it's a <laughs> like my idea today. right and it's a really long episode it's like an hour and 50 minutes but normally his episodes maybe you run from like 50 minutes to an hour and 10 mm-hmm. takes forever he invites representative mike gallagher who's a republican uh, representative from uh wisconsin okay who I like, he's like my age, and he doesn't sound like a politician, which is nice, because there's mm-hmm. some people who just, I don't know, there's a way politicians speak. Anyway, all the episode is, and this is just fun, because this, this, our episode today has been a little, a little heavy for some lightness of mm-hmm. mood. All this episode is is he and the representative go back and forth with what they call half-baked ideas, which are ah. ideas that are fully formed in their mind, but they know will never be implemented, mm-hmm. but they think are really good ideas. I know one thing Jonah Goldberg's mentioned before, I, I think he barely brings up in this podcast, but he's mentioned in the past, is expanding the House of Representatives from like, how many people are in there now, 500? 435. 435. He says he, they should expand it to like 2,000, because mm-hmm. that would like break up all the districts even smaller. It would end gerrymandering, and representatives would actually have to represent their constituency because it would be so small that like they really have like a group of people they represent. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. it's something that's perfectly constitutional, perfectly within bounds, probably never going to happen, but it's a half-baked idea. Interesting. It's a fun episode to listen to all their crazy half-baked ideas. Some of them are sillier than others, but I recommend it. It's from The Remnant Podcast. It's episode 138. It's called Half-Baked, and uh, I think it's fun. Very good, it. very good. And I'd like to recommend, uh, I've been reading... Um, some of Oz Guinness's recent books lately. Uh, I'm going to be speaking with him next year, and so I kind of wanted to catch up with some of the things that he's been writing. And I want to recommend a book that he wrote not too many years ago, two, three years ago, called uh, Renaissance. Mm. And it's about uh, the recalling of a culture back to its Christian roots. He does a very good job of describing the problems in our culture today, I think, um, uh, he's he's very insightful and uh, offers some some uh, some good solutions for how to get back to a uh, an understanding of our lives that includes uh, a Christian mind, Christian approach to things. So the book is called uh, Renaissance. There are some other books that he's written in the last few years that I recommend too, but that one in particular I think would be worth uh, everybody reading. And I'd be very interested to know what you think of it. So if you want to get a hold of us, um, write me at director at centerws.com and uh, leave comments on our discussion here, our back podcasts, uh, or uh, when you engage with the things we recommend at the end. We'd love to hear what you think about those. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. This has been From the Center, and we'll see you next time. See you then. Thank you.